Well, good morning. It is very much my pleasure and my privilege to be invited to speak with you this morning. Um, I'll start off with a little bit of my personal introduction and then I want to go on a bit of an adventure with God. I want to go on an adventure with you, uh, with you this morning. I want to recap on Jay's message from last week. Is Jay here this morning? No, it's almost like God wrote my introduction and Jay delivered it last week. It was absolutely tremendous. For those of you who missed Jay last week, I would encourage you to listen to it. It just sets an amazing foundational scene about the kingdom of God and about living in the kingdom. Um, and then I, what I would love to be able to do with you this morning is to stir you, to stir you into dreaming and to stir you into stepping into the kingdom that God has for you. Um, my subtitle is Gideon, Gideon, Warfare for the Terrified, okay, or Warfare, Warfare for the Worried. Um, as Ben said, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I, had the, yeah, I had the pleasure and privilege of joining in with a conference called Heaven in Healthcare. And Heaven in Healthcare is a group of healthcare professionals who've been meeting together, forming a network over the last few years. So I went off to, uh, to, to Kent, where I engage with some absolutely fantastic champions of the faith. People who have a real heart to see the kingdom of God coming in healthcare. And today, just like when I've been previously invited to speak and to share the Heaven and Healthcare Conference, the first time I was ever invited to share with some of those people there, the night before I spoke, I was absolutely overwhelmed with feelings of utter inadequacy. I felt so inadequate. I knew that some of the people I would be sharing a platform with at that conference had seen God move in amazing ways. They'd seen amazing signs and wonders. They'd seen phenomenal miracles of healing in their healthcare practices and in their church life. And I felt so inadequate. And I prayed and I said, God, I feel so inadequate speaking to these people. And God said to me, good. <laughs> because it's in our own weakness that God gets to get all the glory it's in our own weakness when we turn to God that God does amazing things and actually I feel quite inadequate speaking to you all this morning as well but I had to preach my own sermon to myself last night and say when comparison comes in the door uh, contentment goes out the window and God said to me don't compare yourself to anyone else it's good when you're inadequate and so I'm here, I hope I serve you. I hope and pray that I serve you well this morning out of my own inadequacy and out of the abundance that my Father in heaven brings. So my introduction, God brought me and uh, some of my family to Derry 20 months ago. We came here when we heard a very clear call of God to relocate to this place. God spoke to us very clearly through Isaiah 61. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. But on that occasion, the part of that chapter in the Bible that really stood out for me was the part of that chapter that said, they shall be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. And that particular verse from that particular chapter has remained with me for the 20 months that I have been here. And God has been stirring me and doing something in that. So we've been here for 20 months now. And I will be honest, some of it has been really tough, really tough very difficult and I just want to publicly thank and acknowledge those of you who have invited us into your home and invited us into your heart and made us feel welcome here it's made it's been really important for us so um one of the reasons why um 
I think I was finding things difficult was that God began to show me during this last 20 months that what was happening was that we were engaging in spiritual warfare. We were engaging in spiritual warfare. And I was feeling very much, I remember one night sitting and saying to Andy, everything is just awful. There, we, we just, we, it's just so frustrating. I had um, difficult contract negotiations. Andy was looking for a job that was going to satisfy and fulfil him. We have all sorts of different tensions and stuff going on. And I just said to Andy one night, you know, it's just like as if, I just feel like nobody wants us here. That, that's just how I feel. I just feel like nobody wants us here. And God just said to me, no, that's right. There is somebody who doesn't want you here. There is somebody who doesn't want you here. But our enemy is not flesh and blood. We do not fight against flesh and blood. We're engaged in spiritual warfare. And I was so encouraged by Jay's message last week. Because Jay's message last week was, we are children of the Father. We find our identity in God. We find our identity in our loving Heavenly Father. That is our identity. That is who we are. We are citizens of heaven through Jesus himself. Jesus became man, heaven and earth collided and Jesus dwells in us. That was Jay's message last week. And so that's what I want to build on with us today. Um, if we have the next slide there. Um, Jesus dwells <coughs> in me and Jesus dwells in you. If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus dwells in you. Sometimes in my life, I have treated Jesus as a visitor into my life rather than the person who dwells there. I've treated my experience of Jesus as visitation rather than habitation. What's the difference between a visitor and a dweller? Well, my fridge is a big clue of the difference between a visitor and a dweller. Now, my older children who don't live with us in Derry will come to visit us at Christmas time. And the house that we currently live in, they've never lived there. They've never lived in that house. They don't even know where the fridge is yet. But I guarantee you, within minutes of my older children arriving in the house, they will help themselves to what is in the fridge. Because you see, their identity is part of our family and they can dwell in our house. They feel at home there, they live there. They're not just visitors. They're not just visitors. They can help themselves to what's in the fridge. And I won't be offended if they do so. Jesus dwells in me, and therefore I have access to all of the abundance of my Father in heaven, because Jesus dwells permanently in me. Jesus is at home in me. If you were to imagine, I, uh, I was thinking last night, if you knew in advance that Jesus himself was preaching this morning at Foyle Vineyard, would you be quite excited? Would you be quite excited if Jesus himself was coming to speak to you this morning? Yeah, you would be, wouldn't you? You would be ready, anticipating that you would be changed, that something would be different in the room if Jesus himself were here. So I told myself that last night. I had to tell myself, Jesus himself dwells in me, and therefore I can expect 
that you will leave changed today. That Jesus will change something because I'm here. Because I'm here, because Jesus dwells in me. What if Jesus wasn't preaching this morning? What if you knew that the person who cleaned the toilets this morning was Jesus himself? If Jesus himself was cleaning the toilets at Boyle Vineyard this morning, would you be keen to come to church? Would you feel that that changed something? You would. You'd be like, oh, I'm off to the loo. <laughs> and you would go to the toilet and you'd go, oh, just feel the anointing. <laughs> I'm changed. Yeah. Someone who carries Jesus in them, someone who carries the Spirit of God in them, clean the toilets for you this morning. Please be blessed when you go to the toilet today. And what about if Jesus was in your workplace? What if Jesus himself went to your workplace with you? Or sat around the table with your family? Or what if Jesus was one of the neighbours in your street? Would your street look different? Would it feel different? Would your workplace feel different? Would your family feel different? Dare to dream that because Jesus dwells in you, all of those things can be true. I feel very um, exposed and vulnerable this morning because my family are here, some of my work colleagues are here, and some of the students who I teach are here. This means I'm under scrutiny. And I can tell you beyond all shadow of a doubt that on the days when I know my identity as a child of a loving Heavenly Father with all of the resources of heaven at my disposal, I am a better work colleague. I am a better teacher to my students and I am a much nicer parent <laughs> on those days when Jesus dwells in me. Jesus always dwells in me, but when I take the time to turn my attention and to look at that and to seek what does that actually really mean today? That's when heaven touches earth. That's when heaven and earth collide and that's where kingdom comes. <coughs> would you dare to dream would you dare to dream you see once I, I become secure in my identity that Jesus dwells in me that my loving heavenly father has all the resources available to me I become a different parent a different teacher and a different colleague. It's quite easy in the moment of some worship when we're focused on God. I'll tell you when it's hardest for me, 1.15 on a Tuesday. Okay, that's the time when I need to remember that Jesus dwells in me and that because I'm in that room, Jesus is in that room too and it can make a difference. There are 2.56 billion followers of Jesus on planet Earth today. 2.56 billion followers of Jesus on planet Earth today. What if every single one of those 2.56 billion people took Jesus to work with them tomorrow, took Jesus home with them this afternoon, took Jesus into their street? Would you dare to dream with me? Would you dare to dream? Would that influence the street where you live? Would that impact your workplace? Would that impact your neighbourhood? So we start with our identity in Jesus our identity as loved children of our Heavenly Father. And from that comes our authority. 
There have been times in my life when I have tried to operate in the authority of God without being secure in my identity, and it goes quite badly wrong. We don't have impact when we're not working and living and breathing in the authority that Jesus has given us. We have the authority to bring heaven to earth. The next one. I quite like I quite like words. I quite like a little bit of the study of words. Bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, when heaven and earth collide, is bringing healing. And the words that the Bible uses for healing are some of these ones. Sozo is the Greek. Um, shalom is the Hebrew word. And actually, our word slansha, slanshava, a drinking greeting, that's exactly the same meaning and it comes from exactly the same origin as sozo or as shalom. When you greet people, slansha and shalom and sozo are words that are huge. They mean so much. They mean physical healing. It means spiritual healing. It means wholeness. It actually really means freedom and preservation from death. It's huge. It's about wholeness, restoration, peace and freedom. It encompasses all of those things. How sad that it's been reduced to a drinking greeting. It's a lot more than just cheers. It's about wholeness. And that's what we are called to bring into the spheres where we are. So that we can see a restoration to God of individuals, but also of our families, our workplaces, <coughs> our society. Healing is supposed to be reaching every aspect of our world. Healing. Healing is mercy. Healing is mystery and healing is warfare. I'm not going to say very much about healing as mercy because I think some of Jay's lovely talk last week covered much of that. Healing is a demonstration of the mercy of God, the compassion, the heart of God. What about those oak trees that we saw back in Isaiah 61? Those oak trees, they shall be... Um, oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. But the next bit goes on to say that they have a purpose. The purpose of that, that those oak trees, that planting of the Lord, was to restore the ancient ruins, to rebuild the ancient walls, to restore the traditions and the legacy of healing, compassion, hospitality, supernatural signs and wonders, and restoring the desolation, bringing fruitfulness and productivity to the barren places and to the, to the deserts, bringing solutions to problems where there's no answer yet, rebuking false doctrines and false mindsets. Do we live in a ruined city? <coughs> Do you work or function or operate in a place where there's desolation? where some of the things that should have been built and could have been built have been undermined, have been ruined. I work in healthcare. Healthcare is like a ruined city. 
healthcare is really struggling. Healthcare is lacking resources. Healthcare is full of burnt out, wounded healers. I see healthcare as one of the wounded cities, as one of the cities in ruins. What God wants to bring into healthcare is a restoration of compassion, a restoration of hospitality. Hospitality, the same word that we get hospitals from. Our hospitals sometimes don't feel like very hospitable places in 2022. God wants to rebuild those ancient ruins. That's what I see from my lens as a healthcare professional. But where are you? Where do you function and operate? What are the ruins in your sphere of influence? What are the ruins that are around you where God has called you to bring heaven to earth to rebuild? God has mercy and compassion for that rebuilding. What are the cities where you're called to live? Who are the people who have shared spaces or shared values or a shared vision or mission with you? That's your city. That's your city and that's where God wants to rebuild the ancient ruins in the place where you are. So what areas does God want to rebuild? Here are the areas of sickness. Here are some areas of sickness that I see around about us. We have political sickness, don't we? Our political system is quite unwell and needs some healing. Our economic situation is sick and broken and barren and needs the healing of God. Our social and cultural structures, our environment, ecology, the environment, not just global warming, but actually the local environment. <coughs> is there litter in the place where you're trying to function? Does it just look not very attractive? God wants to bring healing to the land. And we see historically that when God's people were living out in the fullness of all that God had promised to them, that even the land was restored, <coughs> even the very uh, landscape and habitat was restored when God's people were living in their identity and their God-given authority. We can also think of healing importantly in terms of the physical, the psychological, the spiritual and the emotional, because God wants us to work with him to restore his creation to how it was meant to be. Imagine if we saw healing of all of these things. Can I dare you to dream? Do you know that the church, God's church on earth, those 2.56 billion Christians, have got all of the ideas and creativity and skills and influence in every one of these areas to bring that? Imagine if 2.56 billion Christians were influencing all of these areas for Jesus. When it says in the Bible, you will do even greater things than these, I didn't really fully understand what that meant. How can I do greater things than Jesus did? Jesus did phenomenal miracles of multiplying provision and food, phenomenal miracles of healing, of raising the dead. How can I do greater things than these? Well, actually, I'm one of those 2.56 billion people, and together we can bring restoration and God's heart into all of these things. Can I dare you to dream? But healing is also a mystery. Healing is a mystery. And the mystery is that we live 
in the tension of the already but the not yet. I live as a citizen of two different kingdoms. I have one foot in my workplace, in my family, in my neighbourhood, and I have one foot in heaven. And in heaven, all of those things that we saw were restored. But yet and I live in a real world where I do not yet see that restoration. I could wrestle with that intellectually, or I, I could accept that God's healing is mystery, is mystery. This building, is there an engineer in the house? No, thank goodness, I'm on safety for that. I don't know much about engineering. Buildings require tension, a stretching in many of the structures, otherwise the walls would fall down. We need a tension, and the tension that we live in is this dual realism. The reality of my life on earth, and the reality of the heavenly kingdom, of what is going on in the heavens. We live in the dual realism where we cannot dictate or control healing, but neither can we accept or surrender to sickness and suffering. These are both and, these are not either or things. We hold these in tension. God isn't just the healer, God is healing. It's in his very nature. And so therefore it should be in my very nature. And I hold that healing intention with the ruins that I see around me. So healing is also warfare. And here's where we dive in. I would love us to look and learn at some of the lessons from the Bible. The sharp-eyed among you might already have spotted my prop. I'm going to talk to you about Gideon. I'm going to talk to you about Gideon. God put Gideon on my heart to speak about healing as warfare. And Gideon was in, if you want to read in the Bible and follow along with it, you will find the account of Gideon in Judges chapter six. And Gideon lived in a time when um, Israel had was um, overseen by judges and they were in this absolutely unrelenting cycle of bad king, people didn't follow God, they fell out of relationship with God and they were hammered by their enemies. Then there would be a good king and they'd all be restored in relationship with God and the enemies would be defeated. And there was this endless cycle, good king, bad king, good king, bad, it went on and on. And Gideon happened to be living in a time when no one was following God, the, rest of the, the people of God were not in relationship with him, their relationship was destroyed and they were very oppressed. They were oppressed by the Midianites. Let me tell you some of the words that the Bible tells me about what the Midianites were doing. The Midianites devoured the land. Devoured the land. They were like locusts. They laid waste the land. Sometimes some of the situations that I look at around me look like they're devoured. Looks like the land is laid waste. And then we've got an ancient, next slide. This is an ancient wine press, okay? This is not an ancient hot tub. <laughs> this is a wine press. And this wine press was where Gideon was doing some threshing of wheat, okay? Now, the wine press was probably about um, maybe two or two and a half metres across and and maybe about, you know, a metre, a metre and a half deep. 
and maybe just up to about chest height in this, probably from about myself to Ambrose and Gideon was down in this wine press. Now the wine press as you see had these high walls, the wine press was usually built in a low down place so that you know the liquid from the wine went downhill. So the wine press was built at the bottom of the hill. That's not where Gideon was meant to be. Gideon was meant to be on the threshing floor. Now if I show you the next picture, this is what the threshing floor is like. The threshing floor was probably more like the distance from here to the corner of the room. It had a tiny boundary on it and it was built in a high place. It was built in a place that was exposed because what Gideon was supposed to do as he threshed the wheat, the chaff, the waste product, was supposed to blow off and get caught in the wind as the wind took the chaff away and the grain was left, the useful bit, and the tiny little wall kept the grain in. But that's not where Gideon was. He was down in this pit, almost looks like a well. So he's thrashing away at the wheat down there, but the chaff can't go anywhere. The chaff's still sitting there with all of the wheat. He's working away in, in just totally constrained. So he's feeling obscure, poorly resourced, inadequate, restricted. He's feeling all of those things. He can't do the job that God's called him to do because he's not in the right place to do it. He's so restricted. Do you ever feel restricted from the things that God has put on your heart to do? Do you feel restricted from pursuing the dream that God has for you? Do you live with restriction and constraint? Is it making your job 20 times harder, 100 <coughs> times harder than it really ought to be? That's the context in which Gideon was. Thrashing away, just absolutely working his hardest for pretty poor results. It wasn't very fruitful. And an angel turned up and said, Gideon, mighty warrior. Do you think he was feeling like a mighty warrior? He absolutely was not feeling in the slightest bit like a mighty warrior. But God spoke something into him. God said, you are a mighty warrior. God began to change Gideon's identity. And through changing his identity, he released him into his authority. I brought a prop with me. Abigail, can you bring me my prop? I brought a fleece. If you've heard the story of Gideon before, you'll know that there's this whole business about fleeces. He puts fleeces out and if the fleece is dry and then if the fleece is wet. And, and Gideon has this test, testing time with God. He puts the fleece out and he says, God, if you're really with me, would you give me a sign? Would you show me? Just in the last couple of weeks, God showed me something from this account that I had never, ever noticed before. Why I had never noticed before. I was a bit focused on this whole fleece thing and wet bits and dry bits and all that. Do you know what I noticed this time? Where did Gideon lay out the fleece? on the threshing floor. Gideon came out of the wine press and he took his fleece and he laid his fleece out on the threshing floor. 
And he said, God, show me here that you are for me. And God responded. Isn't it wonderful when God responds to our questions and our uncertainties? Do you need to put something before God today? Are you asking God, God, show me that you're with me. Give me a sign of what you want to do. Show me that your call on me is Gideon, mighty warrior. God responded very graciously and gave Gideon the sign on the threshing floor. And then God gave Gideon another opportunity. He, he instructed Gideon to take some people up against the enemy in warfare, to engage in warfare against the Midianites. And God gave him a plan A and a plan B. And he said to Gideon, if you're feeling really brave, just go and defeat the enemy. But actually, if you're not feeling so brave, I'll give you a plan B. You can take your servant, nip across to the enemy camp and listen to what they're saying and I'll increase your faith. Isn't that so gracious of God? Gideon opts for plan B. Gideon says, okay, I'll go. I'll take the servant with me. So Gideon goes to the camp at night. A lot of Gideon's work here is happening at night. Gideon, this is truly warfare for the worried, isn't it? He's doing a lot of scooting around at night with Baal altars and Asherah poles and all sorts of stuff. A lot of what Gideon's doing is undercover at night. He's not that, you know, our image of the brave mighty warrior on top of the hill yet. But he's obeying God and he's learning to trust in God and he's learning about God's faithfulness and he's growing in his identity and his authority and he's stepping into warfare. So he goes and he listens into the enemy and the enemy said, he hears two Midianites talking and one Midianite says to the other, I've had this dream about a barley loaf comes down and it knocks over our whole tent. And his mate says to him, that is none other than Gideon. That is none other than Gideon and his army are going to defeat <coughs> us and they're terrified. So Gideon gets a little glimpse of how he is, how he is seen by the enemy. <coughs> Do you know that the enemy probably sees a more truthful version of you than you see in yourself sometimes? Did you know that sometimes your enemy sees a more truthful version of you than you see in yourself sometimes? So we have, we have a better Gideon because we have Jesus and Jesus was like the better Gideon. You see, Jesus also was constrained and restricted because God became man and dwelled in human flesh. God took on the restriction, the restrictions and the limitation of a human body. And yet Jesus was better because Jesus was secure in his identity in the Father. He operated in his authority and he demonstrated what kingdom warfare looks like. Kingdom warfare looks like mercy, mystery, the compassion of God and bringing healing everywhere around you. Jesus is our better Gideon. So I want to close now by reading a little bit more for you from Isaiah 61. And then I think we'll probably offer an opportunity for you to respond to God. And I don't know if you want to respond to God today to say, God, I want to dare to dream. I want to dare to dream. Maybe you want to say to God, God, 
I need to know that my identity is in you. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you need the reassurance of your identity as the child of a loving, generous, resourceful, heavenly father. See, my dad owns the cows on a thousand hills. That's who my dad is. Maybe you need to rediscover that identity today. Maybe God is restoring your God-given identity where Jesus tabernacles was what Jay taught us about last week. Jesus dwells, tabernacles live <coughs> in me. Maybe you want to dream about what Jesus living in you looks like when you leave here. I need to know what Jesus dwelling in me looks like at 1.15 on a Tuesday, as well as when we gather together and encourage one another. So I'm going to read Isaiah 61 and then give you a chance to mark a moment of inviting Jesus to not just be a visitor in your life, but to take up permanent residence, to be able to help himself to the contents of your fridge, such as they are. <coughs> if you want to commit to God again, God, I know my identity, but it is truly the deepest desire of my heart to bring healing to the places where I've seen a need. Where I want to rebuild the ancient walls, the ancient ruins of the city that I'm connected with. I'll give you an opportunity to say yes to that again God, this morning. So I'm going to close by reading um, from Isaiah 61 <coughs> for you. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on you. Because he's anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. You will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you'll receive a double portion and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. Slansha.
stay there. <laughs> um, I don't know about you, that's really significant, I think, for, for me personally, and maybe as well. Uh, I'd love to just give a few more minutes to what Lisa's brought and just allow you to kind of step into that a little bit more. If you're new to us, we, we don't like to just talk about something. We want to give a little bit of space in any moment that we've got to let God do what he needs to do with that. And uh, it's the work of the Holy Spirit who's his presence with us. And so um, why don't you put your hand on your heart, open your hands, and just as Lisa's invited you to kind of consider that, um, I want to just welcome and invite God to do that with you. And then we might just share a few specific things that we think God might want you to respond to. Um, but Lord, we thank you that you're here. Thank you for that reality that we are children of God, sons and daughters of the King. And Lord, I pray in this moment, Holy Spirit, you would do that ministry. What I mean by that is that's a work that you do in our hearts to remind us that we are adopted into your family. It's one of your powerful works and it goes beyond our ability. And, and so I pray that you would do that. What Lisa has been sharing about identity, you would tangibly do something powerfully within in that regard. thing I had, and I don't know if you have anything else that you want to add, you can. Um, some of us, and I know this to be true just because I hear many of your stories, feel like Gideon need tangibly, like the enemy is devouring our stuff, he is robbing from our uh, resources, it is just one of those moments where it feels oppressive, feels overwhelming, feels like we're on the back foot and can't get up. And uh, we're in the wine press trying to like cheat the wheat the chapter wheat and it's not working. And I feel like this is a moment where God just wants to step in and just for you today in this moment, but also just to like do that thing of the fleece. And maybe you want to come and like just stand on the fleece at the end as like a physical marker and some people will pray for you. But that idea that I'm I'm gonna do what I can to step into a place where I need you, God, just to show me again that you are with me. I know that to be true, but I need to feel it. Like I need a tangible experience. It might not be that everything gets sorted out. It might not be that um, everything is suddenly wonderful again. There's still a journey, Gideon still had a journey to go through, but it was a tangible thing where God reminded him in a way that was real to him, that he is with him and that he is a mighty warrior. And so perhaps that's what you need. And so. Let God do that with you right now in this moment where he's asking you to like, okay, I feel like the last thing I can do is step out into the open. But God, I need you to show me and remind me that you're real. I believe it to be true, but I need you to do that for me. Lord, I thank you. Just thank you for this moment. And you mark it. 
And I ask for us as a community of people, one really, in the city, um, that you would do the work in the area of identity for us. Um, that that feeling of always being out in the cold, of like not belonging, not being at home, that kind of not knowing who we are basically, always feeling like we're having to prove something to everybody around us, always feeling like we're fighting thoughts, oppressive thoughts of negativity or of self-doubt, where you would do a dynamic work in us so that we can step into the authority that you've given us to do the work of the kingdom in the places that you set us. And that like Lisa's invited us to do that, it would have, it would have unleashed dreams of things that in, are impossible in the natural but are possible through the work of the kingdom. And I feel like God's invitation is to dream again as a community. And it's going to require faith. But trying to do that with a kind of shaky identity is just a disaster. <laughs> um, but doing that knowing that God is with us and that he has given us his, his, his son, that he has called us by name, that we are sons and daughters, that we are not without resources, that we, we, we have more than enough. Doing it with that knowledge is a very different kettle of fish because we're going into settings that are difficult with a sense of his presence with us. So God, will you do that with us as a community? And Lord, I anticipate you showing up as you already have been doing with many, many people in this. Ask it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. And if you have kids, it'd be amazing if you go and pick them up. For some of you, this is an important moment that you need to respond to. Um, and, uh, and sometimes the best way to do that is physically. And so uh, we're going to move the fleece over here. Lisa and anybody else that's in our equip guys or, or, or can pray are going to be here. So just come up and stand the fleece. And do it. I know that seems a little bit strange, but it's just a physical thing to do. And uh, uh, I really believe God will meet with you. Uh, if you have kids, you can go pick them up. If you want to go and grab a coffee, you can do that also. If you have any other need that you want us to pray for, healing, emotional, physical, spiritual, we'd love to pray for you as well. Guys, bless you. Uh, thanks, Lisa.